Hey there, welcome to the Cafe Genius Impresarios webcast episode number 11. Today we are joined by a local favorite, entrepreneurial wonderkund, Joshua Stacy. Why, Hi, hello. It's what a great introduction. I uh, I try. And is it okay if we call you Josh, first of all? Because I see yeah, Joshua of written on. You can call me Josh. Greg. Josh is fine. That's what both my friends and enemies call me. Nice, nice. I, I always fall back to the, uh, I think it was Black Sheep, where uh, my best friends call me Cash. <laughs> it was the uh, Chris Farley movie. My best yeah, friends call me Cash. Movie. I remember him out on his dinghy of all of the things, but you're saying, yeah, yeah. friends call me Cash. It, it wasn't his, yeah, but it was the, anyway, uh, yeah, we'll call you Josh and Cash. All right, we'll way. go with Josh. Josh is good. Very good. So, uh, first of all, we want to know who is Josh? What are you up to? What are you doing? We have a lot of things to talk about today, very important things. Today being 511, that's May 11th, has a, and today is episode 11, by the way, recorded mm-hmm. on May 11th. There's too much, uh, if if we had started this show at eleven eleven, maybe that would have been more interesting. But I honestly it's... thought about doing my event tonight, having it start at five eleven. But I was like, no, nah, that's a bit much. We can it was, we can do six. Yeah. Well, here's fun fact before we dive into all this stuff. Uh, uh, Logan, Logan Brown, and I. <clears throat> excuse me. He he said, "What do you think? Should we move our events to five or six? And I said, "Well, free parking on the street starts at six. He's like, "Done." <laughs> so. Yep. Yep. There you go. So how did you get to Vegas? What's the story? Mm. So I was, so I'm an East Coast guy originally. I uh, started a business in Virginia, had an office, had staff. That was pretty cool. Decided to try to go bigger with it. Ended up moving to LA in 2019. Uh, Was there for three years. Perfectly fine. Never going again. Uh, had some fun memories during COVID, like I could go walk on the beach and there were sea lions and I saw a dolphin from my balcony. Um, but there really wasn't any startup community I could find. Uh, so my wife, she's going to UNLV for her MBA in new venture management and marketing. Uh, and so we actually got married here, uh, right before the pandemic. Uh, and then, so we moved here about a year and a half ago. Um, I, I love startups. I like being a part of the community. I've done a lot of startup coaching, um, I bootstrap my own multi-million dollar startup. I don't mean to brag, but that is something pretty unique about me. There's not a lot of people that have done that. Uh, and so that's, uh, you know, and I've, I've found Vegas to be a very collaborative space. So I've been getting out there, meet more people. And, you know, I got to say, I love it here. It's fabulous. They should they should really put that on a sign. I think that you know, would uh, be nice. It might catch on. might catch it might. on. It might. Uh, so, <clears throat> so you... Uh, Right now, if I if I have this correctly, you, you are working with Jack, Jack and Josh at Big Technology Builders, and uh, does that factor into what we're going to talk about today? Or uh, are you? Yeah, are absolutely. You doing, I mean, so there's. Good. I was going to say, are you life, doing something new or both? So. Well, ahead. so we're still. So I made one umbrella to to cover all of my new things. So like one of the challenges is, uh, folks will be like, "Oh, hey, what are you working on?" And what I'm working on right then, you know, I don't. You know, I'll back up. So. My first startup that that made a lot of money. Um, it did over three million in revenue. I liked it so much I got it tattooed to my left shoulder. Uh, I'm into it. I took a look at what I was doing that made that profitable, and then I said, "What are what are some limiting factors?" So, by virtue of what I was selling, there just weren't ever that many people that were going to need it, and of the people that needed it, they weren't going to need it indefinitely. So I started saying, "Okay, I could pour more effort into this business, which is growing and did great." However, would it be better to find something with a higher market potential and take sort of my same skills? And so what I boiled down the success of that company to largely was about $25,000 in about 90 days of my time. Everything after that could have been done by someone else and it would have been hugely profitable and that would have been fine. So over the last three years, Jack and I have been working on, so Jack, Jack's background, he did a startup in college. He's near as I can tell, he was allergic to making money before we met. He started making money now. I think that's great. Um, in fact, we're closing some deals now where, you know, he, he should be doing pretty dang well for himself. But what we've been doing is trying to look at, trying to take a look at what are the highest value things that we can do to help a startup. And a lot of that's providing the infrastructure. And can we partner with folks that will do the non-technical side of it? So that way we can have a roughly unlimited amount of startups we can support. 
So I met Jack. Originally, I was working on Project 20, which was just trying to do 20 at the same time. And if I could do basically one a month, it was you know basically 20 over 20 months, I would have said, okay, that's pretty successful. The definition was just get a service up that people could use, that there'd be value for, and have it be cash flow positive. Uh, so when I was talking to Jack about that, it turned into Project 1000. Since then, we've done, we have the ability right now to build technology a lot faster than we can find partners that can run with it. So that's a part of why tonight I'm doing my uh, 5.11 financial model presentation that's going to be pondering the question, can a unicorn be bootstrapped? Interesting. Interesting. So by tonight, 5.11. So this, you'll be hearing this after that. So you will, uh, you have already made the presentation, but um so when you, <clears throat> excuse me, when you, I, people throw around the word MVP a lot. So how would you classify the, the, I, I'll just, the, I don't mean to, uh, this sounds very sort of stilted, but, uh, the output of your, you know, a particular project, is it an MVP or is it a version one or, I mean, how would you oh, classify? No, that's a great question. So part of what makes big TB unique is that Jack and I probably work on more projects than a developer normally will like by a factor of 10. We just, we work with a lot of different technologies solving a lot of different problems. So it makes it when we're, we're, we're doing work a lot of times, it's just, it's not really that challenging to deliver even a pretty polished project. So I'll give you an example of what it might look like. So let's say you're, you know, we'll talk about one project we did. Um, it's called Wicker, uh, W I K H R. It's a job board and it's for individuals who have jobs within the government, which require security clearances. And the reason why this project is particularly interesting for folks that don't know, there are about 17 different intelligence agencies and they all have different security clearance criteria. Some of them are reciprocal. Some of them are not. You might think, okay, how does this impact me? If someone, and I forget if it's 60 or 90 days, but if there's a brief gap in their employment, they have to get their security clearance restarted all over again, which means we have folks that aren't working on projects that need to be staffed. We also, because over at, at times they're so overloaded on the, the backlog of these, the government ends up using external contractors. It's less secure because you're not using folks that are as vetted. And so they're outsourcing these background checks, partially just because folks didn't get placed into a job quick enough. So Jack did most of the building on that. We worked with an external partner on it. It was fabulous. Uh, and it addresses the problem. One of the unique challenges on that project was that a lot of the folks that are looking for these jobs, they might not have LinkedIn profiles. They might not have Facebook. These are a lot of times these are ghosts. They're not meant to have a footprint. And anytime anybody's asking for the information, they should be treating it with extreme skepticism. So part of the challenge on our desk was how do you make a, a job platform that is secure enough that folks in the security space would feel comfortable filling out their sensitive information to talk to a recruiter about changing jobs. Um, pleased to say that project went well, the client was happy. Uh, you know, we did a really good job on that, but again, a lot of times the heavy lifting on that, you know, we probably spent 20 to 50 hours working on it out the door, but after that it's, it's minimal maintenance, but it's still offering, uh, at least as much, if not more value over time as it's being used. So, sort of the way things are set up now is I can, I can frame stuff up. I've been coding since I was in, selling websites and stuff since 1999. So a lot of this is pretty old hat for me. Um, but what I'll do, I'll, I'll talk to folks about what their, their project, what they have going on, where they're chasing it. If we can find an alignment, uh, you know, we'll, we'll build them some tech. Usually we get some type of a down payment, but a lot of times it's a very heavy equity deal. Uh, and then we basically do what we can do best and let them run with it. And the, the biggest problem this solves for a lot of startups is they're out there trying to raise money to get tech. And with us, what we're able to do is give them tech directly so that way they can go out and make some money. And, and they, a lot of times they're able to cash flow their business, you know, within 12 months of launching. So they can always go looking for money, but they're not beholden to investors on what they're going to do with their company. Right. Yeah. Something we've talked about is, um, there, especially now, especially right now, May of 2023, that it is tricky to get capital. There's a little tightening, I guess you could say. Uh, traction will be helpful to have, you know, a slide deck is wonderful, but a running platform with customers or users or subscribers, recurring revenue, these are all magical words that people love to hear. So you basically enable that, right? At least. Well, and we, we de-risk it a lot. So there's another problem that I saw in the Vegas community when I went to level up. 
and I looked around and there's a lot of startups with really passionate, smart people behind them, but that are fighting this sort of uphill battle. And so how do they become investable? Most, a lot of them are not investable and that's not men as, as a diss. It's just, they're not there yet. So the question becomes, how do they get there? You know, I'll give you an example of another startup I'm working with here. They had a service they were offering. They got up to about $40,000 a month in revenue. They had no platform and they had no, uh, and their credit card processor shut them down. So they were sort of, you know, how do you raise money when you say, look, we were making money, but now all that got shut down, give us a bunch of money so we can make a platform and we promise everything will go just fine. So what we're doing there instead is we're saying, you know, big TVs doing the platform for them. We're helping them get a credit card processor set up as well as crypto payments set up. So this way they're not going to have to worry about getting shut down, have all of that handled for them. And we're doing that on an, on an equity basis. Now, here's where I think big TV, especially with the Project 1000, offers enormous value to Las Vegas. There's a lot of deals that just aren't ready to be invested, aren't investable yet, but they're close. And we can, you know, with big TV, we can take a company that is that's on that edge or that's just sort of heading in that direction and really help them knock it over the finish line. You know, you'd ask the question, you know, is it an MVP? You know, for those unaware, MVP, minimum viable product. And I'd say, no, it's better than that. We don't want it to be a minimum viable product. You know, you could take the MVP and say, uh, you know, I mean, you know, even so you take that, you know, we're probably talking more like a version two. Like the, the real thing that surprises me is on your first version you throw out there, almost no matter how much planning you have, you'll find out in the first 30 days of talking to people about it that you completely missed the mark and you need to make a significant adjustment. Sure. And so, sure. right. So part of the value of Big TB is let's get that first shot done. We're talking sometimes in like two weeks. Like between Jack and I, we could probably build 10 platforms a week pretty easy, probably closer to 20 or 30 if we organized it. That isn't the problem. The problem is once you have it, how do people react? Do they say, oh, great, I love this? Or do they say, oh, no, this sucks, that sucks, and the other thing sucks? So by helping the startups really navigate getting from wherever they are to somewhere where, like you're saying, right, they've got monthly users, they've got some revenue, they have some ideas of what's been working, they've got better insights. Now that's something that's really investable. You know, Vegas wants to diversify its economy and, and have startups here. One of the greatest assets that that Vegas has, and, you know, I, I pet peeve of mine. People say, oh, we're going to make it like Silicon Valley. I go, that's absolutely insane thing to say. 40 million people a year come to Vegas to have a good time. Nobody's doing that for Silicon Valley. It's a better town for business. So if 40 million people you're coming here for conferences and this, that, and the other thing, they're coming here to be entertained. You know, you've got the ability, no matter what your startup's in, there's a really good chance there are multiple conferences that come to your backyard. You can go hang out in the lobby of the hotel for free, look at their their passes, see what they're for, and chat up what you're doing. To have that level of accessibility to people is just, it's it's fabulous. There's not another word for it. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, uh, to be honest, I've talked about this for 10 years. Uh, I met with LVGEA back when I was the Intel guy, so I could get meetings very easily. And I said, hey, there's this downtown project at the time and there's a lot of startupism going on of all types, not just tech, but you know, anything, any sort of idea or any, any new concept. And it was, they were very inviting in the downtown project, which was an interesting, uh, you know, not don't just bring your laptop and your app idea, but bring your startup idea. Right. It was across a, a broader spectrum. And I said, how come the, you know, 50, 40, 50, whatever it was at the time, a million people don't know about, like they're not really exposed to it. There's no bridge. There's no tunnel. There was no boring tunnels at the time. There's nothing that connects what's going on here with what's going on right down the street, literally. And they said, that's a, that's an interesting idea. And that was about as far as that went. So so I think you're absolutely right. And I, I agree. And I jokingly say, uh, hey, I heard the Silicon Valley is going to be the next Las Vegas. And like, that's ridiculous. There we go. Said, exactly. Dreams, they wish that they could yeah. be so lucky. <laughs> well, I mean, my, my mantra is let's be a better Las Vegas. How about that? We can do that. Oh, I love that. I got to tell you. So when I was living in L.A., some people were impressed by that. And like I lived in a cool area. I lived right on the water. Like, again, like I saw a dolphin on my balcony. It was awesome. But the dumb grin people get on their face when I say I'm from Las Vegas. They like, that's an option. You can just live there. I'm like, yeah. And yeah. then I ask the question. They'll go, is it fun? Go, Absolutely. It's fucking great. I love everything about it. There's yeah. always drunk, happy people here. What's not to love? I, uh, well, it depends on if you're in front of them or behind them on the freeway. Uh, the, I think the, the most common thing I got when I was, uh, very fortunate to be traveling around the world on, uh, Intel's dime back then, mm. uh, you're from Vegas. 
do you just drink and gamble all the time? And I would say, well, yes, obviously. That's obviously that without saying. <laughs> but the the fact is that as a as a destination city with the uh, the gravitas on the planet that we have, it was very. I was in Dublin. I was in uh, Dubai. I was in China. And you mentioned Vegas. Although in China they say, uh, oh, like Macau. Generally speaking, you know, people in the world are very familiar with Las Vegas. They've either been there, they have a friend that's been there, they've seen the pictures, maybe a movie. Um, except for New Mexico, there's a Las Vegas, New Mexico, and everybody thought I was. They're like, "You're not from, not the one here." And I said, "No, the, the other one." And they're like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, the good one. And I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I was, I was sort of a chuckle, although maybe not great for Las Vegas, New Mexico. But I think the, as you say, yeah, the value of of access, and I always tell people. Imagine if you can get one percent of those people coming here to just know about you. And uh, did did you? Uh, I'll give a little plug here, I guess. For was it Rizzo Radiance? Remember that the the college oh, yeah, tea yeah, yeah. from Toronto. I met his name's Jeffrey. Uh, I spoke with him. Uh, they had a what do they call it? A mentor storm. So as much as Zoom calls, we we had our Zoom call. I I don't know why I was. I mean, the, people think I know stuff or something. So he says, uh, yeah, I'm here from Toronto and I'm selling this. It's basically skincare, collagen product. And the first thing I said, so you're going to walk up and down the strip and just deliver this stuff to the spas. He's like, yep. <laughs> and he did. And he sold out. Like He's like, I, I, now I have inventory problems. I have to make more. Because everybody that comes here tries your product and then goes home and tells their friends. And uh, I hate to even make this reference, but you know, we all know how viruses spread now. <laughs> so. <laughs> So yeah, I mean it's it's a completely viable strategy to to take advantage of the inbound marketing potential that we have in the city, and uh, I think it's left on the table. So yeah, bravo for uh, seeing that. A lot of people don't. They kind of go, oh yeah, I guess I never never really thought about well, so that. Just strange. I'm biased. So like my first, uh, so the first startup I did that like really made money, I had this moment at the Mirage. I was I came out here for LeedsCon. And I had reached perfect financial equilibrium. I had $3,000 of expenses on my business credit card and $3,000 of cash in the account. Perfect neutrality. And I didn't know what to expect. But 30 days later, the business had I'd already made back every dollar I'd put into it. And it was on track to end up doing crazy multiples of what I put into it. Right, I put 25 grand into it. It did over $3 million in revenue. So that was my excitement of coming to Vegas. I very vividly remember, uh, you know, I, that was actually the first time I started learning to play craps and I was meeting all these people. And so the note, and I had to pay, I had to pay $5,000 to come out here and have that experience. So the idea that startup founders have that in their backyard right now to me is just astounding at a personal level. Sure. Well, and also, um, for example, I did, um, we, we were speaking of this earlier. I recorded a, an episode on the other show I have, which is Let's Innovate Vegas, with a uh, brilliant physicist who's doing uh, wearable technologies in Germany. And I said, uh, it, yeah, well, I wish you were there. I could have uh, probably could have talked. You could German have, could well, have no, finally she, had something useful. To well, I mean, in, in fairness, she's from China and she went to school. She got her PhD at Harvard, so we were fine. But but I, I didn't really bring up German. That was uh, German culture is another, you know, their, their education system. They're very pro-education, socialized and all. But anyway. The, the the bottom line was I said uh, I don't know if you've been to Vegas. She said, "Oh yeah," <laughs> like of course nice. I've been to Vegas, and so people end up here for conferences. And as you say, and, and um, it's not everybody loves Vegas. And I've heard people, and you know who doesn't like coming here? It's the people who never hey, get yeah. off the strip. No, no, no. They get oh. they never get off the strip. So you, I I've been to CES, for example. That's probably my go to you know default show. It's in my industry. And, uh, you know, you talk to people, oh, I hate coming here. I just want to get out of here. And I say, well, so do you, do you ever go anywhere but here in your hotel room? They're like, no. <laughs> well, of course you're going to, that's horrible. You know, there's, there's well, a thousand I mean, it's things a to do. It's a different experience. So here's, here's what I like about the strip. The Bellagio is the third nicest hotel in the world. It's the only one on the strip like that. There are experiences you can have on the strip that you can't have in very many places. Sometimes it's unique only to that. However... I got a soft spot for Fremont Street. I think you got a lot of great deals down there. And if you just want to walk around and sort of take in all sort of the environment stuff, uh, it's fabulous. Plus, the uh, Fremont Street experience does some free concerts. I saw Dish Walla yes. there with my wife. That was pretty freaking great. It is. It, it's sort of I, so 10 years ago, they, they have since done some amazing things with the Viva Vision, which is the canopy of uh, mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. extremely nicely saturated uh 
display elements that they have up there. So 10 years ago, it was okay. It was nice. It's, it's noticeably prettier now. But I would bring people downtown, whether it was my mom or friends visiting, and they had never been. And I would say, let's go there just as the sun is setting. And I, we would kind of be hanging around. And then all the lights on Fremont would shut down. You know, they, they're getting ready. So it gets a little bit dark. And they're like, what's going on? I'm like, look up. And then a show begins. And they're like, wow. And it, so it's, you know, it's uh, cheap entertainment. It's very, very pretty. Definitely. I think it's great. I absolutely love it. And it's one little tiny. I mean, there's so many, whether it's the characters now <laughs> constrained in little circles on the on yep. the, the walk or the various restaurants. Um, and then the other thing is if you if you stick to the strip proper or you stick to Fremont, you're still missing out because there's a ton yep. of other stuff to do. So I think this is where well, I was saying, like, if you only go to, to the convention center and your hotel room when you're visiting, you're missing out. And uh, I actually uh, earlier I said, of course, I drink and gamble all the time. But I actually would say right after that, after they were finished laughing at my good humor, they would say I would say, uh, I actually I live by a school. I walk to a grocery store, but right. I also but I also go to Vegas. It's uh, 12 miles away. I can go to the strip. I can be there in 20 minutes. So here's so, what I love telling people about Vegas. They go, OK, is it fine? I go, yeah, OK, great. I go. So here's the thing. You go to the airport, right? You see slot machines. Of course, you can see slot machines. They're fine. And I go, you go to the gas station, slot machines. I go, you go to the grocery store and they're like slot machines. I go, yeah. I go, and here's the, here's the like icing on the cake. I go to the pharmacy to get my blood pressure medicine. Of course there's video poker there. Why wouldn't Mm -hmm. there be? It's just everything's Vegas style. And like, that is like, so I had, I went back to Virginia a little while ago, um, deal with some things with my daughter i'll be heading out there again and everything's just a little more boring out there like there's no blinking lights and all this other stuff i i love coming back to vegas after i leave yeah and and so it's um it's an interesting environment when i was in college uh, unfortunately uh, a friend of mine he passed away of a terminal illness but he and i had this conversation when we were yeah 22 he said that why would anyone not start a company in las vegas there's uh, you're surrounded by all of the things that people go to Vegas for. Why don't just be there? And uh, he was right. So not not right every time. Not every startup is ideally placed here in Vegas, but certainly there's there's many reasons to visit, visit for extended periods, work with people here, come and visit for business, all that stuff. So uh, there's a lot of avenues. I mean, there's enabling... direct flights from here to everywhere, basically. There's exactly. good price flight. I mean, there's just the yeah. list of reasons to to have this as your headquarters is is quite long. I have uh, I have a saying. My uh, LAS, which is now the the Harry Reid Airport, uh, is my favorite departure airport in the world because <laughs> you can go anywhere. We're uh, making the spaceport. Yeah, yeah. I've, I was at Marty's presentation. Oh, uh, that's right. I, I want that. Uh, I want that and, bad. And we are doing. I am Team Las Vegas Actual. I don't know if you know what that means, but it means I am the team lead for the NASA Space App, Global Space Apps Challenge coming up in October seventh and eighth. So uh, hopefully, people will start to have some ideas now, and we'll get the ball rolling. And by October, we'll do some space apps hackathon hackathonery. Are you familiar but, with the uh, Interplanetary File System (IPFS)? I am. I and love indeed. that project. I yeah. love it. There's a ton of stuff, whether it's virtual like that or whether it's physical uh, and Vegas can be. And, and again, it's mostly because people, the access to this place as a transient visitor, you know, you're here for a week, you're here for, I, I was here for Comdex. Yes, Comdex. <laughs> and, and fun fact, we were here for Comdex when the, I don't know if you've heard uh, the uh, Oakland Raiders. Uh, we were going to at UMAX where I was working. We were going to rename the Coliseum to the UMAX Coliseum so that it would be the you know the UMAX Coliseum where the Raiders and the A's play. And so the the Raiders were all on board. We had Raiderettes and we had our our theme was Raider. We had AstroTurf, uh, huge booth, all this stuff. The A's caused a big problem and the whole deal fell through because they didn't like the terms. And so I just want people to note. We have the Vegas Raiders now, but the A's, they want to tear down buildings. They're already changing their mind. I'm going to bet my $1 the A's are not going to be in Vegas, and they're going to screw up everything between now and then. But I'm just that's just an aside. <laughs> but we were here for nine days, and I remember saying very specifically, I can't imagine being in Vegas for a week. This is way too long. And now I've been here 
uh, nine years and 51 weeks more than that. So crazy. I, I absolutely love it here. I, and I love, I love talking to people. I've got, uh, when I was working on one of my projects, we did another trade show here and I brought my assistant with me and she, this is now years later. She, you know, four years later, she's like, Oh, I got to go to Vegas again. It was just great. So, I mean, that's what I think is pretty exciting about like sort of presenting startup stuff here too, because a lot of times with startup stuff, like you are going a little bit over the top, like part of my presentation now is basically saying like, look, I'm, I'm doing something that I know is possibly impossible, but despite that, here's my plan. And you know, it, it's a town that can support that, right? People come here to be wowed and amazed and watch these shows and why not be inspired in business as well as in art? Sure. Sure. So I, <clears throat> I want to make sure we got the 1000 startups project 1000, as you say, um, yep. Because we're going to move to actually talk about 5.11, the 5.11 project, I guess, is that what you call it? Or just 5.11? It's the 5.11 financial model. Oh, okay. And so I, want, I definitely want to talk about that. And this is the thing that you are you are having snacks and everything at the International uh, Innovation Center. Is that true? Are we having snacks? Yes, it's, it's all out. I was, so we're, we're doing root beer floats and ice cream. So I've got toppings so you can make your own rocky road. That's another rock climbing reference I felt nice, like throwing nice. in there. Will there be belays and uh No, there uh, are waffle bowls though. Oh I'm not well, gonna lie. The yeah. There's yeah, we've got waffle bowls, we've got normal cups if you're into that. I've got sixteen liters of root beer, which should be overkill. We've got three gallons of ice cream, which I believe is overkill. We should have uh yeah, so for basically the first hour, it's just gonna be mix and mingle at seven. I'm gonna talk for probably about a half hour. And then after that, I'm going to do Q&A and that'll go however long that goes. People can, you know, walk out while I'm talking. Fine. Great. Um, but basically what I've been sort of wrestling with sort of my whole life is what are the most efficient ways to make money? And, you know, the software business that I did where everything was automated, like that was really great. And I realized if I didn't have a huge time investment on something, I could run an awful lot of businesses. So for those that don't know, a, a unicorn is a business valued at more than $1 billion. So the question is, can someone bootstrapping it with their own money without taking outside money, can they build a billion dollar company? And the answer is there are allegedly some that have existed, but you know, it, I mean, it's hard to do just to begin with, even if you're taking investor money. Um, and I believe that the way to do it is the, is the 1000 startups, you know, fundamentally, there are a lot of high value markets that aren't high value enough to, to garner the attention, right? VCs want to put, you know, $10 million into something and get a hundred million out of it. So they're going after certain types of opportunities and a lot of really smart people are going to solve those problems and all that other stuff, but sort of secondary and tertiary to that, there's a lot of opportunity where big TB could bring enormous amounts of technology that would improve workflows to really help these startups fight out of their class. And a part of why it's attractive is we're able to deliver what they need then. And we're also, we're not looking for a 10x exit. We're happy if we can help a business just, just do a cash flow positive thing, or they're set up to go and, and raise investment if they want. But what this means is every one of these projects that we add, if we're adding that to our, our equity, to our holdings, our portfolio, as it were, you know, this gives us the ability, as soon as we can stack a billion dollars worth of projects on there, we should have been able to bootstrap a unicorn. And what's even more exciting about this is along the way, we're giving the startup owners more control over how they're running their business. And really what we're interested, Jack's 15 years younger than me. I'm not even 40 yet. Ideally, we're looking for long-term revenue on this. And so if they want to take some time, they don't want to do an exit, they don't want to play ball, we're, we're, we're taking some rev share on it. And if we have a thousand companies that never exit, but we're getting rev share, like that's a perfectly fine outcome too. Sure. The biggest thing is that we're making sure that we're working with startups that are that really understand what the, the fight they're against and that where we can deliver software that makes it really easy for them to compete. You know, I've literally made a little over $3 million in revenue off of a product that was competing with, with multiple companies that we're doing more than a hundred million dollars a year in revenue. In fact, one doing half a billion a year in revenue sued me when I was doing 500 K a year in revenue because I could compete with them. And <laughs> so that's right. I was like, you guys want to come on down to my level. Great. I've been um, sued by better people than you. 
Right. People were like, well, this is the other thing. So people will start to sue me. And I'm like, look, the name of the company is Info Group. Uh, you know, they have a lot of brands. It's a big company. They use their data and GPS and all this other stuff. Okay, great. I go, so Info Group sued me. And we fared fine there. Uh, do, you want, do you think you can do better than a company doing half a billion dollars a year? in Liddy? Oh, okay, fine. Um, also, I mean, I do have a really great attorney that I met, um, on that case. He helped us out a ton. And as it relates to sort of intellectual property and all things software, you know, I've, I've spent the last, you know, 10, 15 years launching altogether, probably between 20 and 50, you know, I'm not gonna call each one of a company, but you know, there was an offering, we did some marketing, saw who would go for it. And, you know, I've, I've learned an awful lot. Like I've launched social media sites, um, I've launched cryptocurrencies. I can right. We can do job boards. I've done international video streaming. Um, you know, kind of whatever. The, if, if there's a website out there, you know, we can do it. Netflix is easy to replace. Uh, you know, but that's that's there again. You know, well, another thing too is there's um, a, a big management consulting company, and then about within the last year, they published something on LinkedIn where they said about a third of all workflows at companies could be automated. Which means if you're starting off without those, you've got about a third less overhead. Like that's a pretty big competitive edge. So by by taking the technology, I mean, a lot of this is open source stuff. I'm probably preaching to the choir here. But a lot of the stuff that you can take off the shelf and just polish up a little bit is really ready to make a real big impact in, in some of these uh, marketplaces. So that's, that's the premise. If I can help a thousand startups with their technology, I'll absolutely be a billionaire. And, and absolutely, Big TB will have been bootstrapped as a unicorn. Sure. Questions, sure. can we do that? Um, and by the way, just uh, I did say it at the top of the show, but we are not talking about big, giant tuberculosis. That's, uh, that's for the old that's folks right. like me out there. So big technology builders. Uh, yep. I big have the link TB. in the notes. BigTB.com. Yeah. Um, so I think the first, the first thing that comes to mind, um, uh, just as some background, I, I've talked about this in other episodes with other people, with Mo Collins most recently, the not everything is an, as a tech startup. However, a lot of things are tech adjacent in that people use that you need a website, you need some sort of web presence, you need some sort of tooling to manage your workflow, your supply chains, all that. So it sounds like you you do those, whether it's customer facing or utilitarian or a particular niche, like like the, the uh, what was it called? Wick? Wicker. Something. Wicker. Yeah, Wicker. Um, so yeah, not everything is uh, not everything is going to be the next... I don't know, pick a, the next Tinder. I don't know. <laughs> the, uh, but some things are going to be, um, well, the way, the way I describe it is uh, when we say that we're going to be the next tech hub or Silicon Valley, I say, you know, we're sitting in a coffee shop that is also a startup. So not every startup is a, is a dot com. Sometimes it's somebody just wants to have a lifestyle business. As you say, they may just stay in business for the foreseeable. And so do you see yourself enabling more sort of every business the everyman analog, or are you looking specifically, especially in this unicorn model at the next Google or the next, you know, whatever, pick one. I don't care what it is. I love all businesses. I really okay. do. And here's, here's the thing. So I struggled. So there's a book. I don't read a lot of, a lot of books. I read Jeffrey Moore's escape velocity and I absolutely adored it. And one of the things about that is he said, what are your crown jewels? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just some guy that has a website that we did something really efficient and it made some money. And I was like, oh, well, maybe that's the answer. We did some things really, really efficiently. A lot of times a startup is fighting an uphill battle. And so, you know, I've, I've been just recently starting to work on a real estate deal, which is something I haven't done before. But how much tech is behind all of these different companies? It doesn't matter what you're doing. Like you need tech. So if we're sure. starting right off, with great tech, great tech infrastructure saying we're doing everything here. We're already starting off. I, I don't know if it's a strong enough advantage to go to just non non tech industries and say, well, we have tech so we can win, but it might be, uh, you know, I like anything that makes money. I mean, the other thing is a lot of VC money, whereas was where a lot of the attention is going, they're looking at high growth, high tech startups. And I'm fine with like a small market cap. So if there's something that only has, this is a weird sentence to say, but if something only has five to ten million dollars a year in revenue that anybody would ever spend on it, a VC is not going to want to put a hundred million dollars into it. Sure. On the other hand, you know, would Big TB do fifty grand worth of work for a startup in exchange for you know twenty percent of the piece of the action on there? So the startup has great tech and an invested partner that wants to, yeah, okay, 
yeah, we'd do that. You know, if we get that going, Big TV's bringing half a mil to a mil a year on something, you know, that we'd love that. And so, and that's where we rely a lot on the non-technical folks. And this is sort of the experiment. Are there non-technical folks where we can say, great, we're going to tell us about the problems you're facing. We're going to give you solutions. We're going to have your company be running more efficient out of the box than a lot of companies are as they're established. And is that enough to make you a threat in the industry? I believe the answer is yes, but you know, we'll find out. Yeah, well, I so I have I have a variety of uh, experiences in my in my uh, past. I'll just say <laughs> I was going to say my, uh, my sorted past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> it's not it's not that sorted, but the you know the food truck stuff I've done in Bay Area and here, um, you know, the list the, there's a, there's a few things where you learn about people that are not strictly technical, but who would benefit from not only just understanding things like how uh, maps and schedules and and social media interactions, calling APIs to automate, um, I'm thinking food trucks here, but just to automate, you know, notification of your customers because they got to figure out where you are and all that. So, you know, a food truck is not itself a tech business. However, they have come to rely on it to actually exist as businesses. Otherwise, you are, you may as well never go out because nobody knows where you are. So the ability to enable people to use tech, even though they are not themselves tech, I think is important. And I think it's sometimes poo-pooed. Um, there's some of some rumblings here in Vegas are, you know, we're looking for exits, we're looking for hyperscalable, we're looking for big, you know, big rounds, big, big dollars. And I really think we would be missing out on the lifestyle businesses or the, you know, as you say, these could be businesses that are not hundred million dollar companies. If you, what is it you, uh, if you have a, a thousand, $10 million companies, or, uh, if you want to start a thousand or even $1 million, that's still a lot of, a lot of money. It's a lot of, you know, little, little wins. I mean, a thousand million dollar companies is a billion dollars in aggregate. That's a hey, billion that. dollar portfolio. Mm-hmm. And these are not, these are not overly challenged. If, if someone's willing to work and I mean work and they're reasonably competent, and they're coachable and we can partner with them to, to get them to a, a million a year in revenue. Like that shouldn't be the Olympics right there. Now you get up to 5 million, you get up to 10 million, like, okay, now we're, we're going to need some different skill sets. But I mean, some of these, like, you know, it's, it's just, if you think about the amount of available funding and the amount of tech available technology for the, the bottom 75% of startups, like, there are perfectly like viable companies that aren't getting backed because, you know, just a lot of investors aren't looking to do a two or a three X, especially because they consider a high likelihood of failure. So, you know, when we take a look at the deals that we find interesting, we take a look at what our actual hard costs are going to be out, the amount of time we're going to spend out and of, of, of projects of that kind, what do we reasonably expect out of every 10 of them that we do? So we know some of them are going to be a bust, but the fact of the matter is if we're building and scaling the tech, we know that's not going to be a problem. If we vetted the deal, then that we should have a, a pretty good idea of once it's done, where are those next dollars coming from? How is this thing making money basically right away? If there's something that people can pay for, we can build it. And that's, that's really where I think the sweet spot is, is finding these opportunities where, you know, it's not you're putting 20, 40, 50 million dollars into building a brand. It's you're putting twenty, forty, fifty thousand dollars of dev work into solving a problem for which now people will in aggregate pay pay fortunes for. I mean, you know, you know this probably better than just about anyone here, generally speaking. The amount of improvements we've had in the speed and just raw computing power and usability over the last 20 years is astounding. Absolutely. We just we swim yeah. in more technological hardware more hardware resources than I mean, let me ask you this: In 1998, did you think you'd have an eight-core processor in your hand? Well, no. In 1998, I had a, a 68k, a 68,030 uh, mm. Mac, I think, at the time. I think it was a nine. Oh no, 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 no! I'm sorry. Oh, I did have that, but I built my first Pentium Pro machine. So, dual Ooh. Pentium Pro, yeah, 200 megahertz. My oh, first yeah. internet computer, Pentium 233 MMX. Yeah, oh, that was and I. That's when I first uh, started because I was working at Netscape at the time, and I first started playing with Linux and the whole universe of, uh, you know, SGI and Sun. We had we were surrounded by all Sun these computers. Yes. Yeah, 
but but yeah so i was uh, at that time i was exposed to i guess what what people would have in their homes eventually but it is amazing that we've so far surpassed that in our pocket uh, uh, okay i'll do you one better i worked at true vision we were doing video capture of ntsc video so that's 640 oh, yeah, by 480 right. not pal ntsc yeah and uh, well we could do pal and we could do but you know the normal person in america is familiar with that size vga if you're a computer person and we could do overscan, so 720 by uh, 480. And that was pushing it a little bit. And we had to have six SCSI 3 drives, RAID 0, cranking out as fast as they could capture data and doing motion JPEG at the time. So you're compressing each frame, each frame with actually each field with, uh, I know these, all, these are foreign terms nowadays. Uh, remember when screens had tubes? Oh, <laughs> uh, they were not I? flat. So we're so we were capturing this stuff as fast as we could write data and compress it in a in a hardware MJPEG component, uh, and we were just barely able to not drop frames. And today you're capturing 4K video or better in your pocket and uh, uploading it to videos. You know, it's it's so catastrophically bizarre having been there, having been there and done that. Um, really, the sky's the limit. And and I got to say, so to your credit, what you're trying to accomplish, I think. There are people who have no idea what they don't know, and I I go to that a lot, Rumsfeld, dork, mm -hmm. but they just don't know. I didn't know we could do that. Um, can I move this? Can I make that purple? And you're like, yes, of course. We can actually make your entire business work better by doing these 10 things or whatever. So I think it's there's a bridge to possibility that people aren't aware that is so easily crossed. So some of what you're doing accomplishes that, I think. So uh, good for that, too. But so, what do I do to get my my startup into billion dollar territory? And I have a joke, by the way. Can I? I, I love this joke. No, it's a Richard Richard Branson joke. Uh, oh, yeah. So I'm going to adapt it. Uh, <laughs> if you want to create a billion dollar company, you start with 44 billion and you buy Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So how do I make my billion dollar company? What's uh, what is the model? If you can divulge that. Well, so here's here's the thing is. I don't, so I've spent seven to 10 years literally looking eyeball to eyeball with this question. And, you know, even given 10 hours deposit on it, I wouldn't be able to cover everything. But in general, here's, here's what I viewed as the kiss of death for being able to do it. And it's taking external money. Your business should be able to cash flow and be profitable at every stage along the way. If that is possible, you're not going to have to deal with bridge funding rounds. You're going to have to deal with investors wanting to do things that you maybe don't want to do with the company. You're going to have more control over everything. And so start at the very beginning. You know, I'll, I'll do a Steve Jobs quote. This is from an old one well before people really got, I mean, this is from like the 80s, I think. Like he had like jeans with patches on them, that kind of shit. Uh, he said, start with what incredible benefit you can give the customer and walk back. Sure. And not, you know, the way a lot of people like to do is, oh, I built this cool tech and now I need to figure out how to sell it. And that's like the complete inversion. So if you have a product that people really want, the most successful thing I've done, and I'm sure there's there's other ways to it, was taking a look at a very specific group that I knew I could market to pretty easily and making an offer that they could not resist. It was an insatiable offer. I sold what I was selling. I was selling at basically 95% off retail and there were no contracts. It was a reasonable budget. Folks would try it just to see if it was a scam. And when it, it made good on everything it committed to, they were sort of converted for life and they would tell people about it. So if you have an offering that people get really excited about, you can tie into this really cool thing where you're going to get the best marketing. I'll give you an example. This guy, a customer called me up, said, hey, Josh, call about your product. There's a demo video. I had a question. I said, that's really interesting. I never made a demo video. And they said, well, it was on Facebook. And I said, well, I still haven't made one. Come to find out, someone had liked the service so much, they made a video, put it on a private Facebook group, and told people, how to, to go sign up and here's how you use it. That was some high friggin' praise. And why? Because I must have really solved a problem. And people like getting credit for introducing people to other great stuff. So the question becomes, how do you make a product or offer a service that people are excited to tell others about? 
everything on the way to do that. And if you can offer it in a way that's cash flow positive, that is probably 85% of the battle right there. Sure. Uh, the network referral effect, I think. Or the, yeah, they the call it the they... network effect. But it's, it's, so there's, tonight I'll be talking about this and kind of, uh, so my wife and I, when we were dating, we worked on a spreadsheet together and did some math. Uh, that's hot. That was, that's very hot. It's really hot. Right. <laughs> Uh, so the spreadsheet was based on, basically I was trying to figure out, so I've, I've wanted to have a social media site for a while that was, you know, a nice big popular one. I'm a huge enthusiast about free speech. I've hosted very controversial content. I, I get excited about it. That's my jam. But the question is, how do you get people on there? And I say, okay, great. If we're doing it by referrals, what we, we I did was I said, if we say, if I do something so interesting, someone will tell another person within 30 seconds and they'll tell at least two people within 30 seconds of hearing it, that goes global in like three days. So that's like, we'll call that best case scenario. So the question is at first level, like what can you get someone to tell another person just to begin with, with an unlimited amount of time? And then how do you crank that up to a day? The reality is if it's they shared it with two people, an average of once a day, you're still talking about everyone in the planets that heard it several times over within like 30 days, still pretty good. So the question becomes like, how can you be truly interesting, truly noteworthy, truly spectacular? And um, I don't think there's a better place to try to show that off in Peacock than Las Vegas. So that's that's how I'm trying to get the word out here. And a part of what's sure. even more interesting about this with the Project 1000 is each one of these thousand projects is appealing to a different audience and can go viral within that. So my as the CEO of Big TB, my vision is I would love to have at least one product that we built that everyone, not everyone uses the same product, but everyone uses at least one of the products in our portfolio. Like that's a goal. And so... If we can hit anything near that, the amount of market power, like I, I, I sell Big TB as a hyper technology company. We work on a lot of different tech and we, we, we think we should be rewarded handsomely for it. I want it. Honestly, I want it to be a, a trillion dollar company. It has everything it would need to scale like that. Part of the question is, you know, how long am I going to live here? Because, I mean, even, even with us being able to build stuff quick, it probably takes... 50 to a hundred hours to get something out the door and ready to go. After that, it's not a lot of maintenance and like we can train people. We've, we've done workforce training. I can take somebody from scratch and make them a perfectly competent developer, uh, WordPress developer in about six weeks. Um, and at that point they'd be useful enough where we could do a lot. So, you know, we can scale this up, but what we really need is folks that really want to take advantage of, of the tech and, and coaching we can offer and, and run with it. So, you know, the other way of looking at it is I'm trying to become a billionaire by helping people become millionaires. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you broke up there for a second. I, I, I uh, did you say Drupal or Django or something? What was it? <laughs> <laughs> Joomla actually. Oh, Joomla. perfect. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or WordPress. Maybe it was WordPress. So here's yeah. what I love about WordPress. It runs on my SQL. You can use PHP. You can use React. You can do whatever you want with sure. it. It's the perfect set of Legos. Nobody ever got fired for running WordPress on an IIS server on their Windows machine. So <laughs> I mean, that's an extended, extended remix of that famous quote about Windows. I'll throw this out. Zillow, $3 billion company, runs on WordPress. Whitehouse.gov sure. runs on WordPress. You want to have some weird conversations with yourself, Google top 20 websites that run on WordPress, and you're going to see some on that list that's sure. going to make you go, huh? Well, I've had I've had conversations with Math, Matthew Lau, Matt Lau as well. Oh, we've, yeah. we've talked to him, and 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 the reason I said Drupal, just in case, on the off chance Matt actually listens, he he was in a heated argument with somebody, and I don't remember the person's name. That Drupal is better and it's more popular, and he said, "No, not really. <laughs> WordPress it's not is not more popular. It could be better. More. Joomla could be better. There's nothing that's and WordPress used to just be awful, but yeah, it's come but, a I mean, long ways. Yeah, Matt is." Uh, a plug for a uh, mind spun is, is, yep. is, is trying to accelerate uh, the, the mechanical components of a WordPress content delivery. And his research was very plain. There is no, like, you don't have to be political or, you know, it's not a, an Emacs versus VI or a tabs versus spaces argument. It's like this, these are the numbers. That's, that's why I'm attacking this market to try it's to make the it one better. Everyone's choosing. 
Yeah. You know, just like just like our 40 million people, you you have a better chance if you get 1% of the WordPress market than the, the Drupal. Mar- I don't like Drupal either. So I don't like WordPress, but again, uh, we've had this conversation, but WordPress is a tool. If I'm, I am interested in making tools, so to speak. So it's like, yeah, WordPress, but that's not what I'm trying to accomplish. And it does what it needs. My mom runs WordPress for her website because she's not trying to develop a website. She's trying to develop business and uses the website. Totally different things. So, well, and that's just actually, I'll, I'll jump on that just a little bit. I, you know, folks could, could hire a developer to build stuff from scratch and do pretty well with it. And with a good budget, let's say 100, 200 grand, you could get pretty far with it. But if you don't mind things being a little bit different, you can find a lot of times with WordPress just using stuff off the shelf with a little customization. You can absolutely compete against multi-million dollar companies without having to spend really a whole lot of money building that out. Now, part of that too is I've already got the infrastructure. I'm a hardware guy. I understand infrastructure. I can, you know, we've I've done the logistics of large databases and video streaming and all this other stuff. And you know, it's a part of the perk of working with us is if you do grow, you know, you're not going to outgrow us. We can grow as big as anything needs to be. Um, but yeah, it's just the the competitive landscape, you know, is I don't I don't think you need I don't think you need anywhere near as much money as you used to to be able to build a tech company. Oh, sure. And it comes down to so like I was suggesting earlier, I'm I I think it's a problem when we think Vegas has to be a tech hub and when we hear references to our you know our our innovation economy and our um you know, the direction. And I say, my, my argument is, well, there's a lot of people here that are not going to launch tech startups per se, that they will use tech. There's a, there's a whole bunch of startups. If I, if I want to open a coffee shop, I don't need to develop software to do that. I can use a built-in, I mean, I'm sorry, available POS, point of sale terminal. I can use Square or whatever for payment processing, ter- like a POS terminal, whatever. But the, I don't, I, uh, and I'll say, I will tell you exactly what I told my managers, bosses at uh, salon.com. I worked at a, that was the only .com I ever worked at. They had uh, three of us engineering. Uh, they had a staff of engineers at a, a magazine. And I said, I, I am going to leave because I think you are a magazine. You are not in the business of writing software to publish a magazine and you should not try to be. <laughs> so I think right. it was just. It, and they eventually switched to uh, WordPress. <laughs> but the, mean, but the, no, no, no. The fact that, no, I was fine because the fact yeah. is they're not in the business of creating and maintaining software. They had no idea what to do. They, you know, like it was fun to be able to roll out. They had a couple of cool features that they, you know, like, hey, let's make a video share. And this is back in the early, this was in um, 2005, right? They didn't even have a commenting system. The, the, the idea of, co- of people commenting on articles on the publication was foreign to them. Uh, so crazy, right? Uh, we've come a long way, but they should not have been in the business. And they had a te- they, had, they were public for 10 years when I was working with them. They had multiple regime changes. So if you want to see a pile of code that should never have been working, yet it somehow was, you know, Whoa. they had uh, how many years old was their license for Oracle DB out of date and yet they're running Oracle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they have Windows, they have Java, uh, they were using... Um, what is it, Lucene to do uh, page indexing? Is it Lucene? Oh, there you go. Yeah, uh, they were. Do, they had Perl scripts, and one day, accounting uh, the accounting people came to me and said, "We get different numbers when you run reports <laughs> for daily, weekly, and you look at the and you're like, oh, well, first of all, they're running them now, right? Accounting, you never do things now. You set a specific time interval. So just a total morass of different different skill sets and and views of the world." They should never have been in that situation, right? And uh, fun fact, uh, so I was given the, <laughs> the task of trying to go through this their subscriber system and try to figure out how many subscribers they had. Public company, Salon was a public company. After a couple of weeks combing through things, I was told by the CFO, uh, stop working on this mm. because that would have meant refiling 10 Qs for how many years? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Because all right. this data is wrong. So... So yeah, there's a time and a place to develop things. And that's why I don't like WordPress. Well, I mean, I just, I'm not a PHP fan. We were doing PHP at Salon and I was not a fan, but that's me. That's my, I like Python. I like C and whatever. But the take home is that 
I am I am trying to move in a what if you do have to write software or develop systems or whatever. But there's a time and a place for that. And there's a time and a place for I just need to accomplish this to make my business go. I don't need to build the world. I will use the one we already have, <laughs> which right. is totally fine. So it's just two different um two different roads. I don't know. Two different roads that hopefully get to the same place. It depends on how, on what you need to accomplish on there. The journey is part of the gift. I don't know. What else can I say? <laughs> but, I, mean, I gotta it, tell you, it, there's some wild things I've learned just slugging it out. I'm like, oh man, here's this thing and it's terrible. And I'm like, you know, things are looking up. And like, there are some projects I've worked my ass off on. They didn't get anywhere. But then later on, I was talking to somebody about it. I'm like, oh, so you can do this other gig? I'm like, yeah. And I get some sweet deals that way sometimes. So I try sure. to just focus on a massive amount of output and uh, making sure I'm, I'm I'm doing it with and around the right type of partners. So that way, if there is opportunity, um, you know, you don't have folks trying to screw each other out of it and trying to work together. Right. Um, I think uh, Yahoo f- hired the the initial sort of the founder or the main, whatever, the main person behind PHP. And then Facebook was also written in PHP for a uh, if it might still be in some cases. Mm-hmm. So they were working on PHP compilers and acceleration. stuff. So, you know, there's a, there's a place for that language and platform. There's a place for WordPress on top of that and so on and so on. So yeah, it's just, I'm, uh, I always say like, uh, would you ask a chef to cook you a, a can of, you know, ravioli or something? Like, no, no, I'm going to make it from scratch. So, you know, well, and I would, and I would say, I think you're referring to WordPress as, as a tool to get a job done. Like a hundred percent for, 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 for the right situation, there is nothing under the sun like it. It's not a one tool for everything, but my goodness, the speed you could take something and get it to market, not having to spend off a lot of money. Like there's, you can make a lot of money off of just being able to be competent with, with WordPress for sure, Sure. for sure. There, well, and you know, the salon example, they were a public company and they made the mistake of doing what I like to do, which is developing custom solutions with regime changes. One of the nice things about taking a platform like WordPress is, which is, which is maintained by a real company, uh, mm-hmm. automatic, I believe. Right. And which is, uh, has a, a huge community, not only of people that just use it and, and are familiar with it, but people that are developers such that, you know, if big TB decides, okay, we've made uh, our trillion dollars, we're done. You're not going to say, wait, this custom software, what am I supposed to do with it? So right. you no, have there's, that. There's a, an enormous amount of security updates that go into it. There's sure. a thousand different vendors that'll offer do things. And it's also just not that hard to work on. So I, you know, I think one of the projects we we're working on a little while ago, Jack actually spent $50 on a license for something, which we almost never do, but we, uh, you know, he tried everything, every free solution that was there and we got close, but someone had this really just great software. It was 50 bucks. And, uh, you know, with that, we're ready to compete with, you know, 30, $50 million companies. So, I mean, there's nothing like it for the peasants, man. Nothing like it for the peasants. But, well, and I think part of the challenge, though, is that uh, when we, we the, the royal we, when we talk about Vegas being the tech hub, the innovation hub and whatnot, <clears throat> in some cases, it will be rolling the sleeves. You know, like I have this hackathon thing that I'm trying to drive for, for May. Uh, that was the person I had my other show with at three o'clock this morning is sustainable fashion. And I have a project that I'd like to use the stuff she's working on to put solar cells in clothing to enable a cooling garment for people that don't have homes to be cool in the summer here, stay cool. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, that I would say is innovation, but for the most part here, people want to start a business and whatnot. Uh, operate a business, be pay their bills, you know, just do their thing. And I think if we stop thinking that everything has to be the hyperscalable unicorn and we say, you know, and that, so I like, I mean, those things are exciting to me. I don't think focusing on them too much is healthy, but I think if we say we want to enable people to be successful, we don't need to only be uh, focused on the people doing the unicorn. Uh, no, no, uh, no offense. Right. Well, uh, and that's, but that's, that's heresy to Silicon Valley and the VC world. What do you mean we're not focusing on the 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 moonshots here? Sure, uh, I'm 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 I am a heretic. Yes, because I think people that want to start a business should be able to start a business. They don't have to say, "Oh, sorry, you're not." You just want to start a food truck to to you go just back. Want to my, make uh, money? Who the hell are you? 
And, well, right. there are this some is people. What VCs are saying to people. Blows sure. my mind. I, I've, I've, uh, in my travels in the Bay Area, I, I, we had an owners association there as well, because I'm, <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't even know what I was thinking, but, you know, you, t- I, I would speak to chefs, you know, trained chefs or, or people that that had brick and mortars, and they're like, I like the food truck because you get to go and you meet your customers face to face. You get to talk to people. You know, it's a small crew. You, you know, it's. It's they, it kind of puts the fun back in. So if you know if you're in business because you want to be in the business, you know I want to have a coffee shop. I want to have a bookstore. It doesn't have to be well. If you're not going to be a hundred million dollar bookstore, what are you doing? So I think if we if we don't try to make it sound like Vegas is only interested in the big giant startups, and people like you can say, well, you don't need a million dollars to pay for fifty developers to develop your bookstore software. We can build out your your your. Um, inventory and what people want, you know, your e-commerce and all, all these things are not rocket science. They've been done. They've already been so, done so many times. That's a part yeah. of the crime, I think, in, in having folks just repeatedly reinvent the, the same friggin' tech. Yeah. Like it just, again, it, it just blows my mind. You look at, grab like uh, an Android phone. I don't know if it's the same thing with Apple. And you look for like a calculator app. And there's like a gajillion calculator apps. A calculator comes with the fucking phone. Who yes. is wasting all of their time doing this? And the answer is, oh, it's ad revenue and blah, blah, blah. That's a part of the fundamental challenge with, with the way that some of sort of technology has been innovated. But that's also a part of what I'm trying to break free here. A lot of times a company that makes money, if it has to go out and pay out the investors, that means you're not funding the innovation that was actually being truly innovative. And sure. so this allows them to keep that there. And you know, I think I think Vegas is going to be a, a, a fabulous, just fabulous home. Big TB, and I think we're going to see the Las Vegas ethos of startups be more of we just help people build highly profitable businesses as opposed to we make investors crazy returns. Although it could do both, it's it's not about that VC money. It's about just how can we you know work and help each other grow businesses, which also makes the failure rate drop significantly if you're not trying to do those moonshots. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I mean, if it's if it's my business and I'm bootstrapping it, then I would like you to make my investors tons of money. But <laughs> but if you're bootstrapping it, you don't have any investors. It, it's me. With that? No, there it's me. Go. Exactly. <laughs> right. It's making you money. Yeah. Not these investors. I mean, great. If you take investors, you should make them a ton of money. And I'm here for it. I think and, it's important. Give them a great and, return. Right. And I and I, uh, I I hate to go back to the food truck again, but there's there's the, oh, I thought that's what we were supposed to do path that people find themselves on. And I love the guy that did this. He had a great food truck. He was a great guy, super nice guy. He goes, hey, Dan, I paid a guy $1,500 to build me a, an app for Android and iOS and then my website. And I was like, uh, I I follow like 100 food trucks on Twitter. Do you believe I will install 100 apps for the food trucks right. that I follow? So there's this like, oh, I thought I, I, that's just what I have to do to be in business. Like, well, I don't, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't say that. So I think there's, there's the, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. Somebody says, well, why don't you hire us to build something? And suddenly you have like full custom software that doesn't work because they, you know, there's a whole litany of things. And I, and I was going to say earlier, um, during the downtown project, there were things like, um, uh, raster media, which would build MVPs. They were not focused on building actual platforms or, or sustained software development, right? They, they would, I think they would do some continuing, but it was mostly getting your MVP rolled out to develop some traction and whatnot. And there was another guy I met here from Caltech, very smart guy. He said, yeah, we build JavaScript prototypes. We can do it in a week, get your MVP up and running. They, they were basically doing the, let's just get something in front of investors. And I think your approach is a little bit saner because not everything, like you say, is not going to be put in front of investors. Sometimes I just need it to work to put it in front of my customers so that they can buy my stuff. I mean, real talk, if, 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 if I, if like, so if there's a startup out there making 20 grand a month, let's say they can get themselves up to, and we can give them some tech and we take, let's say 10 to 20% of the company, but they've tripled their revenue. Everybody's further ahead. And these opportunities, there's not a lot of competition because you'd have to both have the technical competence to do this and also want these much smaller, less lucrative deals. But there's this, this horrible phrase I like to use enough squirrels makes a burger. So if big TB is just positioned to set up a lot of these deals and support a lot of companies, 
we're able, I mean, there's the, the ripple effect of us even doing a hundred startups here, helping a hundred startups grow in Vegas has to be huge. Um, so yeah, man. So let me do this. I've still got some getting ready for that presentation I'm doing here tonight. Absolutely. Is there anything else you wanted to go ahead and cover before we, uh, we parted ways here? No, I think uh, it's been just over an hour, which is is about right. Sometimes I go very long with people if they're uh, if they put up with my questions, but I mean you've basically covered it. I think the take home for anybody listening who maybe did not get to your presentation on May eleventh is that you should not automatically assume that you must have uh, an A round and uh, a, you know hyperscaling and exit plans already written and and uh, you know all these things that people. Uh, uh, in college, I took a class, and this, this sounds like I'm going way off the rails, but s- stick with me. We took a class. Uh, it was a senior cl- seniors only class. Uh, it was a philosophy class called Theories of the Good Life. And there's a, a, a book, uh, sorry, a, sto- a short story called uh, The Death of Ivan Illig. And all of us that went to my school, Harvey Mudd, a bunch of nerds, right? We're, we're getting our degrees because we're, oh, we're going to be rich in, uh, in tech and all this. All of us, I think there was maybe six of us in that class on another campus came in and you know like oh my did you read the, the reading like that's you really started to think like am i did we do is this why are we even here and i think people similarly get into a trap where they're like in order to be successful i must follow the rules that everyone has set for me and i think i think we will be successful if we step out of that and people like you are enabling that by saying uh let, let's build a thing that will work for what you want to do let's not make your business fit what somebody else tells you they want to build for you. Yeah, well, and I'll, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll end on this. Um, I, I've had a unique career. I, I, one of the things in 2000, like 17, 18, I started asking people what they thought about my business and what they thought I should do. And these were people who were not in the startup world. These are people, you know, had say relatively normal careers, went to college, had jobs, whatever good friend of mine. He said, look, here's the ding. I'll tell you what I would do, but I wouldn't be in the position you're in. I wouldn't have a business that was generating half a million dollars of revenue because that's not what I would have done. So maybe you shouldn't listen to me. And I thought on that a bit. And what I, what I started doing was instead of trying to sort of get consensus of different opinions and things and using that, I really leaned on my own instincts and what I wanted to do. And when I lean in on that, I'll get my teeth kicked in sometimes but when I don't, it's some of the sweetest victories I've ever had. And so I think a part of what's exciting for me is being able to back startup founders that have an idea that they just they want to be able to run and pursue and not get told, well, actually, you should do this. You should do that because I think it waters it down. Um, you know, so at, at the heart of Big TB, you know, the mission is to democratize access to information, technology and opportunity. Our actual stated goal and consistent, I believe, in everything that we do is trying to help everyone benefit from advances with technology. Uh, so with that, thank you so much for having me here, man. It's been a good chatting with you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for being here. And I'm looking forward to this evening. And then I'm sure people will hear about it and continued uh, interactions. There's a thing that we're we're going to file our paperwork, which I will talk to you about another time, but I'm sure we'll have a show about it separately. Uh, but yeah, part of what you're doing fits into the thing that we're working on, which I will talk to you about in person. But uh, that's great. And it will be, we're, we're highly we're not, collaborative, man. It's And it's not a secret. I just don't want to, I mean, we'll talk about it when we actually yeah. hit the hit the filing of paperwork and stuff. But yeah, very, very interesting. Definitely. I mean, I, I think people that have your mindset are going to be critical here and not the people that are just saying, we're the next Silicon Valley. And uh, so, yeah. So I'll leave it on that note. Uh, thank you again, uh, Josh, Joshua Stacy. Uh, his best friends call him Cash. Yeah. Check out uh, bigtb.com and that'll be in the show notes. Thank you so much. And I will see you later. Thank you for your time. Catch you later, man.